get ready to strap on your boots. I'm your host, Jason Sherman. Today I have a special episode because I have co-founders of Great Builds, Paul Dashevsky and John Grishpole. They happen to be uncle and nephew family business, and which is a first here on my podcast. Thanks for being here, guys. I appreciate it. Thanks, Thanks for having us, Jason. Awesome. And before we get into the nitty gritty of your business, I, I, I always like to know what was the first moment that you guys decided that you wanted to be entrepreneurs in the first place besides this business, just in general, like what was that aha moment? Oh, I can actually be an entrepreneur. And what triggered it? My, mine goes, mine goes way back. My dad. So John's uh, grandfather was a business owner for, you know, as long as I known. So for me, it was literally, um, I probably in grade school, when I realized you could buy a pack of five now and later, so I don't know, am I dating myself? Is that still a thing uh, for, you know, a quarter and then send, sell them each for 10 cents? I mean, I realized, hey, you can make money this way. So I don't know if that was the first story, but it was something like that. I have cavities or, you know, fillings from now and later. So I wish that they never existed, but I, right. I, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, it's it's funny. It's a similar story. As, as far back as I can remember, my parents told me that instead of throwing away old pencils and erasers, I tried going door to door to sell them. And it worked because I was a cute little kid. Uh, and then similarly, into middle school, I was selling candy bars on campus, uh, and then just graduated step by step from there. Um, and then tried the traditional route for a few years out of college. And one job that I had had me consulting um, on the East Coast, just uh, traveling, very independent, um, very self-starter type work. And that gave me the first taste of doing something for yourself and the autonomy, but also the power and opportunity that you have with it. And I loved it. So since then, I've always been going down this path. It seems to always be when people are young, for the most part, they find some way of making money in, in an unnatural way. For me, it was selling bracelets in middle school and that I brought back from Europe. And I'm like, oh, I can make money doing this. And that's when you realize I can make money off of other people. So that's usually how entrepreneurship gets triggered. Now, when it comes to uh, great builds, what was the, the moment that you realized that you could turn that into an actual business versus kind of like, you know, just a hobby, I guess, helping people out? Because contracting and home remodeling, you know, first of all, I'd love to hear your 30-second elevator pitch. So the real quick pitch of what your business does. So Great Builds is a free service that helps homeowners find excellent, reliable contractors. I'll say that the idea started when uh, prior to this, Paul was flipping homes and working with many contractors on the day-to-day. And in that experience, he learned that contractors are hard to find and good ones are even harder. So from that time, uh, we, we identified that there's a lot of red flags that can go into working with contractors and things to keep an eye out for. So during his experience, he started developing his own kind of screening process of what to look for, what to watch out for. And as we put our heads together, we stumbled upon a few interesting stats that kind of painted the picture for why we needed to do what we do. The first was a recent study that indicated that over 50% of homeowners who recently renovated had a negative experience during the remodel, typically with their contractor. And that just opened our eyes that one in two homeowners encounter this type of issue, that has to be a significant problem. Uh, And then we dug a little bit deeper here in LA County alone, there are over 20,000 licensed contractors, general contractors. So we put that together and realized, wait a second, 
there could be over 10,000 bad contractors here and homeowners are continuing to get stuck with them. And that was kind of the aha moment that based on Paul's experience and based on the significant issue that there is, we had to do something to change it. You know, I noticed something when it comes to flipping houses or, or getting contractors. I happen to be in a business with my family as well on the side where we do flipping houses for God knows how many years now. And we've had to go through a long list of contractors and, and who made mistakes or did shoddy you know, construction or used bad materials or whatever happened. And we had to whittle down the list of contractors till we finally found the contractors who work really well. But that took like a decade to figure out like, okay, we use 30 contractors and these two were the ones that always perform the way we need to. And uh, it's really frustrating for a lot of people out there. And what they do is they go on Facebook and they ask, I need to get a new kitchen. Who, who, who do you recommend? So they're asking people, like, who did you get that did a good job for you versus going into Yellow Pages or Google or whatever to find some random XYZ contractor and then end up with moldy ceilings and, you know, wood that falls apart and whatever. So trust me, the, the, the pain is real out there. The struggle is real. And so um, when did you discover that it wasn't just going to be something local, that you could make this an actual business that could really, you know, transform people's lives when it comes to home renovations? Yeah, I mean, look, I, I, I had the same experience as you, right? And so as sort of professionals, it was hard for us to even sift through contractors and find good contractors to your point. It took you a decade, right? But the average average homeowner doesn't do this on a regular basis. They do this once every five, 10 years. So it makes it even more painful for them. And so we realized like, you're right. If you can get a referral from a trusted friend, a colleague, great. They just did my kitchen. I'm happy you should use them. Wonderful. That is perfect. They don't need us. Alternative number two is terrible. I mean, yeah, we used to call it the yellow pages right now. It's called Google and some of the Yelp and some of the other, you know, uh, sites that list contractors and they all have reviews and even Facebook, they all have reviews, but those reviews, you know, you don't know if they're real, you don't know if they're legitimate. So you, it's really a crapshoot. And we thought, gosh, there's a good way to do it and a bad way to do it can't we find something in between that will actually help people? So we said, let's try to become a source. We're a matchmaker, right? We match the homeowner and the contractor. Let's become a source for that person. That's more like a trusted friend recommendation and less like a review site. I mean, there must've been some sort of challenges when doing this because again, you're, you're being relied on, right? Like an Angie's list type of thing. And again, you said that a lot of these referrals or reviews are fake. Everybody knows Yelp has a lot of fake reviews. Facebook has a lot of friends that are posting reviews. And the, the best referral is always going to be the personal referral. Like my uncle or my friend or my cousin, he had his kitchen redone. So now I'm going to use the guy he used because it, he did a beautiful job, very reasonably priced, no issues. So like, what were the challenges? Like, how did you beat through that? How did you break through that wall? So, so it's the same. It's, it's, it's a great question. So we started with the idea that we want to be more like that friend referral to your point. So when we want to build our network of contractors, we don't just go on Yelp, right? We called our network, right? Our friends and my network and John's network. And then we asked everybody we knew, can you recommend a good contractor that actually did a good job for you? Right. And as we built that out, we did the same thing. We asked insurance brokers, 
who's the best contract you know? We asked real estate agents, who's the best contract you know personally that did work for you? And we started building out that network. And then beyond that, we sort of take that network and then we whittle it down. We have this um, screening process that's a 10 point rigorous screening process and we whittle that network down. And we still do that every month. We only add a few contractors a month because we're looking for you know the solid guys that come recommended. So we ask, they have to come referred. And then once they come referred, we whittle them down using this uh, screening process. So it's quality over quantity, it sounds like, which is the right way to go. You're, you're, you're being exclusive. You're not allowing just every... Bob and Jack to pile in. You're you're saying you got to be the best of the best, basically. Which you're 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 funneling out the bad ones for the people. So you're basically doing the heavy lifting and the dirty work for them, which sounds great. Now, if you had to go back to the beginning when you first started the business or any business at all, what was one of the the most major mistakes that you made that you could have prevented? Right, hindsight is a bitch, and now they say um, all of hindsight was twenty twenty because of last year. And so uh, what, what, do you, what do you say, if you could go back in time, wh- whether it's a year, five years, 10 years, and say, man, I wish I could have avoided that horrible mistake that still uh, you know, haunts me to this day. What was it and how could you have avoided it? Uh, I, think, I, think, I think our biggest mistake was um, we were naive. But I think naivete in a way is, in, you know, in a sense, the um, kind of the ally of the entrepreneur to some degree, because if you realize how hard everything was, you probably wouldn't have ever done it. But our naivete was we have this great service and people clearly need it. So we're going to put up a website. <laughs> we're going to do some we're going to run some Google ads and they're going to be beating down our doors uh, because none of us have a really strong um, background in marketing. And so we did that and crickets. <laughs> uh, and so then we sort of said, okay, that didn't work. And then we started calling everyone we knew and everyone that we knew that knew people in marketing. We said, here's what we're trying to do. Let's spend the next three to six months asking people, what's the right marketing angle for what we're trying to do? Let's find as many. And, and so that, that research um, we didn't really know we had to do it. And then we sort of sifted that research and that research ended up with answers that were all over the place. I mean, run more Google ads, do this, run ads in magazines. And we did a lot of that kind of stuff. And we sort of learned what never worked. I'm not sure that we could have circumvented that completely because what I've learned is marketing is a lot of testing and exploration and you have to pay to, you know, learn. Uh, but we should have done maybe more research up front. What we realized is, a lot of this stuff is organic. If we can get the word out organically to real estate agents and folks around town, and then they could recommend us, that's much stronger and much better than any kind of magazine ad. You know, it's ironic because your pain point to your mistake as to not doing enough validation and customer outreach, uh, targeting your market to figure out what they wanted, basically is the basis of this podcast. It's the basis of my book. It's the basis of my course. The first couple chapters are validating your concept, reaching out to your, your target market, not building a thing until you know what it is the market needs or wants. So I can see how that is your biggest mistake because it's usually the biggest mistake of every entrepreneur is they build first, ask questions later. And so to your point, uh, what I probably would have done on top of that is the, the, the most simplistic thing you could have done based on what you just said was 
you didn't know what to ask people and you kept finding new things to ask people. That's what a survey is for, right? So you could have made a simple type form survey that you sent out to friends and family and then gotten answers based on that. You could have then changed the survey or sent out a second one, a follow-up survey and gotten more answers, more feedback, and then maybe even started sending out surveys to contractors, um, people who just got their homes renovated, people who want to get their homes renovated. And really, the, you really got to do the legwork. And I think the trap that a lot of entrepreneurs fall into is, is laziness. Um, not that you guys were because you're obviously where you're at today. But uh, for the generalization of entrepreneurship, they, they get very lazy. They just want to build the thing, put it out there and just get business. But you really got to spend a, a, at least three to six months really scouring the market, learning everything about the industry. So it sounds like you guys learned from your mistake and, and, it, and it worked out because you, you ended up getting the results you needed. Now, when you faced that problem where you said you had crickets, okay, you said that you built the website, you put out some ads, when you realized nothing happened, did you want to give up and just say, forget this, it, it didn't work, it failed? If not, or if you did, what made you continue? What got you through that, that, that dark moment? Very rarely throughout the start and even to this point was I too concerned about its viability. Um, there, there were certainly thoughts that, oh, maybe we're not the right team to do it. Um, maybe this is going to take longer than we expected, but very rarely was there, this is not going to work. Um, just because we understand the issues in the industry and we know what needed to be done, uh, we definitely saw the value in the service we provided and, and where we could be. Um, and I think the biggest or the closest we got to that kind of hesitation point, Paul and I sat down and I, I remember this conversation. We sat down virtually at least and decided once we identified that running ads and the get rich quick scheme wasn't going to work with this business, we knew that it would only be successful in the long term. And we had ag agreed to ourselves and to one another that as long as we could commit to this for three to five, eight years, just to run it out, to really scale and grow the business and bring it to where it needs to be in order to grow organically and get the, not necessarily even market share, but get the notoriety and the reputation um, in order for it to become a reliable trust and name in the space. Um, we just had to agree on that with one another and we saw the potential in it and we're ready to buckle in for the long term. Yeah, you brought up a great point. You, you said that uh, you realized that there was no get rich quick scheme, that it was going to take three to five to eight years. And, you know, everyone listening to this right now should really remember that there is no such thing as a startup that can just become a million dollar business overnight. It just does not exist. It's very rare especially nowadays when Facebook first came out and, and Mark Zuckerberg got his million bucks because of Sean Parker's help. That was a one and done. That, that doesn't happen. That's so rare that that happens. And nowadays investors don't invest in businesses unless they have traction, revenue, they have a good team, they have a platform already built. Like they just want to scale these businesses with their money. So you really got to work hard. And, and to your point, three to five years, that, that's accurate. I'd say it takes at least one year to validate your concept, get some customers, two years to really start to get some traction, and then three to four years to really start scaling that. So you really got to be prepared to put in a lot of time. And you mentioned that maybe you and, and Paul were not the right team for this business as well. That's, that's a very good point because a lot of times entrepreneurs think they're the best of the best and they think they can do anything. 
But you're right. Most people are not CEO material. They're not startup material because it's a very difficult lifestyle to follow and to be a part of. Now, to that point, you guys work together in your family. What's that dynamic like? Tell me a little bit about working together as employees or founders in this business, the ups and the downs. I, I, I think, I, I don't want to speak for John here. Uh, I'd love to hear his answer. Uh, you know, I think um, we, we happen to work well together and we're sort of polite to each other. And I think we do our best to kind of, you know, hash things out. Um, but it's sort of, there's a pressure, not a bad, in a, not in a bad way, a good pressure to, 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 to be aligned and to work functionally together because we have to go back to the other parts of our family, you know, grandma, if you will, and everybody else and say, we're doing great. Cause, <laughs> cause if, if, if I, if I start complaining about John, they will put the hammer down. Oh, no. Like <laughs> what, what, what are you two into? Like we better get along. So I think it adds a, good incentive for us to work well together it sounds like you're walking on eggshells <laughs> i mean look it's a pressure but i think it's a good pressure i don't know yeah I, I i agree with that for the most part i'd say it's important when looking for a co-founder or someone to partner with for a business it's important that you value one another and can relate on an emotional level rather than just on an entrepreneurial level because at the end of the day, there will be difficult times and it's important that you can work effectively together and empathize well enough with one another. And I think partnering up with family is the, the, a good way to accomplish that because as Paul mentioned, we, we have ties beyond our business. So the, the time that we share together and the work that we contribute to the company um, kind of parallels our role in, in the family business. Um, and, and just to add to that, Paul's father was uh, an entrepreneur himself, as he mentioned, and it's, it's always been kind of a talking point or a conversation point from the beginning. So it only feels natural to be doing it now. Well, I got to tell you, uh, huge props to you guys, because I have worked with many friends and family over the years, and it has never worked out for me. It has always been whether uh, ego trips or power trips or jealousy or, uh, you know, just lately you were saying laziness. There was a lot of lazy people that don't want to do any work and a lot of arguments, you know, I'm right, you're wrong. And I just had to keep closing companies down. So I finally realized I work better alone. And uh, part of what I teach is to build as much as you can by yourself. And then as you have something that's tangible, then bring people on board to help you move it along. But I, so kudos to you guys, man, like huge props. And uh, when it comes to running the business and being, you know, family members and whatnot, what are some of the advantages you find or the perks you find to being entrepreneurs versus, you know, maybe working a full-time job uh, in your, in your eyes, what, what do you think is the best part about it? Look, for me, I, I, I had a couple of businesses before this, Jason, and I think a lot of you probably yourself and a lot of entrepreneurs will understand is like, we don't want to work for somebody else. That's just the bottom line. We just want it our way. Now I love having a partner. I've always had partners in my businesses and I love bouncing things off. Cause I realize I'm not always the smartest person in the room. Although I'd like to think I am, I, I like to hear the other opinion and I've become much more flexible in my older age where I could say, okay, you feel strongly about it. Let's do it your way. 
Um, but I, I just, I just don't want to work for somebody and I don't want, I don't want an overlord. That's the kind of the joke I make. <laughs> I, I completely agree with Paul. I think the flexibility, the autonomy, the, um, power in a good way, kind of the control. I remember, um, past companies I've been with, I was a pawn or I had to carry out tasks or projects that I either didn't agree with or didn't feel comfortable doing or even had to sell something I didn't believe in, that type of thing. So the ability to start something from scratch, I wouldn't be spending all this time and energy doing it if it wasn't something I was passionate about. So being able to build something that I care about with someone that I care about as well uh, and seeing the future potential of where we can be, of what we can do with these two hands is just amazing. And you guys mentioned that you struggled to get the business off the ground at first, that it was tough and you had to navigate the world of marketing and feedback and, you know, user experience and whatnot. But there must've been a moment when everything kind of came together in synchronicity and you were like, Oh, this finally, this information helped us get this built and we understood what they need now. And, everything's kind of working and now we can kind of move forward. What was that aha moment when you realized, oh, this could actually succeed as a business? I know you said it was viable long-term, but there had to have been a moment when things kind of all came together. And what was that like? What was, what, what, what was it? What was that catalyst? There were two things and I'll speak to the first one and let John speak to the second one. We did a, a little touch of research, which helped along the way. And I'll mention that. Um, when we were doing some homework about what's out there for people, right, in terms of finding contractors, we found a lot of bad examples, like I I, I touched on, Jason, but we did find a company, I won't mention their name, um, that does essentially what we do, and they started this a few years back, and they started it on the East Coast, we wanted to start it on the West Coast, and we saw that they were progressing successfully. So we said, you know what, we don't, why reinvent the wheel? We can do what they do, and they are seemingly succeeding. So that was a, um, a sample, uh, a, an example for us, an analog for us that said they can do it. It's working. We can do it. Um, that's number one. And the second thing I think maybe John could speak to more because he's more customer facing is when he would get feedback from the customers we talked to and, and, um, and, and how the service really helped them. Right, John? Right. Yeah. So kind of lessons learned coupled with a response to your question. When we first started the company, we thought, People struggle to find good contractors. If we can find good contractors for them and put them in touch, that's a great business. We've got it. What we've come to realize as we've spoken with more clients and interacted on more projects, it's more than just making that connection. It is another major issue in the industry is that contractors are up here, knowledge-based. They've been doing this for many years. They know how much things cost. They know how projects work. The average homeowner only renovates maybe once every three to five years. They don't know the answers to the questions that they don't know, like what we talked about earlier. They don't know. So there's a lot more than just finding a good contractor because they don't necessarily know what to look for, but it's really bridging the knowledge gap between where a contractor is and where a homeowner is. So with that preface, I'll say that as we learned more and more from our clients that they needed more than just a contractor. They had all these questions about how much should this typically cost and what's the process look like for this type of project and what do I need to know? What are good questions to ask during these meetings with contractors? 
that was another kind of aha moment for us of we can do more than just put homeowners in touch with good contractors, but really be a personalized service that can be very hands-on with our clients, take the time to learn about them and understand who they are and what they're looking to do so that we can dramatically improve the quality of service that we can offer them and make ourselves much more valuable from there. Awesome. I like it. It's more like a a source of information and kind of a concierge service almost versus just like hire somebody, pay them, do the job and that's it. This is more of like a, you know, like a a partnership almost. So I kind of like that. All right. And now we'll just have you guys give some final thoughts, words of wisdom, inspiration for entrepreneurs out there to follow their dreams. Anything you can think of that gets you through, through your day and, you know, what you can tell someone to do if they're trying to be an entrepreneur and they're trying to start a business. You know, mine would be what, what we really want to do in this company, as John kind of mentioned already, is be really, really high level customer service oriented. The Zappos model. If anyone hasn't read the book by Tony Shea about Zappos delivering happiness, it's a must read. It's all about, hey, we sell shoes. So do lots of other places. But how did we become a billion dollar company is we really, really treat the customer well. It's just high, high touch. And so that's what we wanted to do. Um, And so I think of, you know, for entrepreneurs, I would say read that book and really think about how you can deliver really excellent service to your customer, because then they will go tell 10 other people how great you were. And that's a great way. That's a great marketing method to even build a business is just have um, people refer you. Yeah, I'll, I say this a lot and I'll say it again. Perseverance. If, if you're building something that you believe in, that you care about, that you feel strongly about, as we said already, it, it may not happen overnight, but if you dedicate your time and your energy, energy towards it and you really believe in what you do, it shows and people will see it. And if, if you really take the time to dedicate into the organization or the company or the idea that you have and really take the time to build it and focus your attention towards it, anything is possible. Love it. And where can everybody find you guys online, social, website, whatnot? Yeah, you can visit our website, greatbuilds.com, greatbuilds with a Z. Uh, We have an active Instagram, Pinterest, Facebook, LinkedIn, uh, by all the same tags, greatbuilds or greatbuilds.com. Feel free to reach out if you want to give us a call, 818-317-3567. Our public email is hello at greatbuilds.com. Happy to answer any questions about anything we've talked about today or about our business or otherwise, uh, feel free to reach out any way that you can. Awesome. Hopefully entrepreneurs listening uh, learn a lot from your successes and your mistakes and appreciate you guys coming onto the podcast once again. Jason, nice to be with you. again, Jason. All right. And we'll see everybody in next week's episode. Thanks for listening. If you learned something in today's episode, please subscribe and share this podcast with your friends. You can learn more about me at jasonsherman.org. Don't forget to pick up a copy of my book, also called Strap on Your Boots, on Amazon. And if you want to dive even deeper into the world of entrepreneurship, I suggest you sign up for my course called Startup Essentials on Udemy.com. Also, you can support this podcast by leaving me a positive review and also by visiting Patreon.com slash Strap on Your Boots to become a member and get bonus material. See you in next week's episode.